0: morphed together and on a subject that no man understands, woman. I think it goes without saying that when, uh, when God got ready to create Eve, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And there was a reason for that. Undoubtedly, by that time, Adam had already trashed Eden and uh, there was no one there to kind of help and make sure things stayed in order. Uh, my wife's been out of town for uh, about a week now with uh, International House of Prayer and then took a couple of days to go see her mom. And, uh, and I can say it's, it's, good, it's not good for a man to be alone. You know, you just, uh, you really need that dimension in your life. Before we get into the sermon, I, I want to tell you a little story about what God is doing with the cross we have out front. You may have noticed if you came in the front doors that we have a, a new wooden cross there, and above it is a sign in three languages. And in that uh, sign, it says uh, at the top simply Jesus, King, and Lord. And then below that in Persian says the same thing, and below that in Arabic. And we really believe that, that those are the three languages that most influence this area that we're in right here, because of a a large Iranian population and because of a lot of Arabic speakers, um, we wanted to communicate who Jesus really was. We got it up a couple of days ago, and little did we know uh, what kind of impact it would have in just a few days. Let me just tell you two stories that happened. Uh, One story was a woman who came, and she was standing. She was going to the post office. She was standing by the cross. And one of our receptionists went out to talk to her and see if there was anything she could do and pray for, her. and the woman simply fell to her knees and began to cry in front of the cross. And we were able to minister to her there. Uh, the next day, uh, a young man came walking in the front doors, and a lot of people come in thinking that it's the post office, when in reality it's influenced Church. And as he walked in, um, he said, "Is he saw the prayer wall, and he said." are you Jewish? Well, no, well, I saw the prayer wall, but the cross outside drew me in. And she said, well, do you go to church? Do you have a church you go to? And he said, no, I I go to a mosque over in Fullerton. I'm Muslim. And before that encounter was finished, uh, he was putting prayer requests in our prayer wall. And those are just a couple of stories that illustrate the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is to those, the Bible says, foolishness who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. I like to think of the cross as like a plus symbol between God and man. And when you take and you add God and man together, you get this wonderful relationship that only God could design. So I really ask you in this season of of Easter, uh, that you really pray and you really just ask God to put on your heart. Who do you need to talk to and what do you need to say and how can you bring them to the cross of Christ? On Good Friday, we'll have a uh, prayer and healing service and we did this last year and it was amazing the people that showed up from the community, the number of people who just needed a touch from God to be healed physically. And so we want to really encourage you to be a part of that and see what God is going to do in your life. Well, we're back into the study of the book of Genesis, and so in Genesis chapter 2, we come to this place where God is going to create Eve. Verse 18, and the Bible says, and the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each of the living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Now, I want you to get the idea that that deep sleep there was, was the idea of a picture of death. In the Hebrew, you don't have as, as many words to describe uh, something that happens. And so here's the idea more than sleep, that there's almost a, an entering into total unawareness of what's happening, totally out of the picture. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And, of course, we know this is why men today still love ribs. Amen? Amen. All right. And Adam said, and this phrase is really interesting, and I want you to underline it in your scripture because it's, it's going to come back to us later in this message with some deeper understanding. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now, it's unusual that he didn't say this is now flesh and blood, but he used this interesting phrase, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and it's a phrase that we'll see again in scripture a little bit later. She shall be called Isha, is the Hebrew, because she was taken out of Ish. Literally, what a woman is, is a womb man. And the idea was there was something the same, but something different about Isha, woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, as we begin to think about this, We understand that becoming one flesh has to do with more than physical. It has to do with emotional, with spiritual, with mental. It really becomes, it comes into a a wedding or a joining of the soul. And so it goes way beyond what we might imagine. And then we come to this next phrase, which I always thought was an unusual way to end this section, where God says, and they were both naked, the man and the wife, and they were not ashamed. And you wonder, why does that come into play here? Later, when Adam and Eve would sin, the first thing that happens is they hide from God in their shame. And I really believe that that shame is that feeling of inadequacy, and they, they felt inadequate, and yet before they sinned, they didn't feel that shame or that inadequacy. And shame becomes the first manifestation of sin in your life. When you you go away from God, when you sin against God, the first thing you feel is a sense of shame. It's foundational. And almost everything we do will trace itself back to this idea of shame. But what happens is, demonic forces use shame against us so that we are destroyed in terms of grace. Because if we think about what is shame, it really is disgrace. And disgrace is the opposite of grace. So if you're living in shame, you can't experience the fullness of grace. So what happens here? So something comes in your life, you feel a sense of shame, you don't know what to do, you're not experiencing grace, so how do you deal with that? Let me give you just a little model of how you can deal with shame that will also manifest itself in other ways in your life. So shame comes in and you go, I'm feeling shame, therefore I can't experience grace What I have to do is I have to begin like this with God in prayer. I have to say, God, I want to just thank you for who you are. You have to change from an earthly to a heavenly perspective. You have to see your life from a God perspective. How does God see me? Does God see me as a sinner in shame, or does God see me as a child whom he loves? So I've got to get a God perspective on my life, and once I get a God perspective, now I have to move into solving the problem. And I want to do that by taking the authority I have in Jesus Christ. So something like this. Uh, Father, as I come to you, I come to you realizing there's a sense of shame here. There may even be uh, evil forces that are pounding against me to try to keep me from understanding grace. So what I want to do is right now I want to say in the name of Jesus Christ in the authority of Christ, I speak to you, shame. I speak to you, demonic forces. You have no part in me, and I, and I push you into, I cast you over to the hands of Jesus. And now between Jesus and me, I establish the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. And in the place, Jesus, of shame, disgrace, what I do is I ask you to fill me with joy. I ask you to fill me with a sense of your power and your grace. And what I do is I begin to become proactive over the things that are happening. Because here's what I believe. I believe the generation in which Jesus returns will be the most emotionally broken generation in the history of the world. Already we're seeing evidence of that. People emotionally broken broken, don't know what to do, where to turn. Life is in despair. The despair and the discouragement and the depression is at an all-time high worldwide. People don't even know why. But what we've done is we've moved out of this concept of grace so much that people are living their life without an outlet of where do I go with that? We see in this relationship that God has with man and woman, Adam and Eve, we see something about God's divine order. I love what Wayne Grudem says about the creation of male and female. Listen to this. He says three things. The creation of man as a male and female shows God image, and then in three ways. Number one, in the harmonious interpersonal relationship. You see, in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, There is this harmony that exists within the Godhead. There is this personal relationship where the Son and the Spirit and the Father, they all relate well to one another, and they're in harmony. And so we see in in this marriage, in this joining together, there is intended to be this idea of interpersonal, harmonious relationships that exist. Secondly, equality in personhood and importance so the man is not superior to the woman or the woman to the man, but what they are is they are equal in their personhood before God, and they're equal in their importance before God. Societies where that's not the case, whether it is a society that is, is, is we might uh, label as third world or primitive in its outlook of women, tend to not understand God in the same way, and God, the God becomes something very unusual, very different to them, or they have multiple gods. The third thing he says, difference in role and authority. So man and woman, while they're equal, they have different roles. They have different authority before God and before one another. Just like the father and the son, they have different roles, and they have different authority or spheres of influence in which they have. So what happens when we live in harmony? We have that reflection of God in us. People see that God in us. They see the harmony in us. The further we get away from this understanding of who is God, the further we get understanding, further away from developing a great relationship with God. For example, just in our society, the bigger the city, the less the stars in the sky, right? Okay. So the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. So when I look up into the stars in a, out in into, into the wilderness, let's say, I see hundreds and hundreds of these pink pricks of light that display the glory of God. But I come into city, and I don't see as much. So the more we move into urbanization, the more we move into secularization, of, of just kind of separating God out of our life, the less we understand of who is God and what is God like. The less we understand that we're creating the image of God himself companionship, and a divine desire. So where did this all happen? Here's Adam, and he's naming all the the animals, and everything is working out well, and all of a sudden he realizes he's alone, and he's isolated. And what God does is he awakens in Adam this sense of need and this hunger. And all of a sudden something in him says, wait a minute, I'm not fulfilled. There's something missing in my life, and I want that. And so God brings Eve in to bring community, to sit together. They're together and they're in community. Someone has said that God created Eve from Adam's side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected by him, from close to his heart to be loved by him. And surely that's a good way to understand that. Women reflect the plurality in the Trinity, and they bring a communion of love that can only be birthed by God. You know, no man needs to be told that women can use more words than a man in a given day. In fact, the studies, and they're a little bit varied, but some say that women use up to 60,000 words in a day, and a man uses about 30. So consequently, what happens is a man goes to work, he goes to do his thing, and he's used all his words up by 3 p.m., right? And he gets home, and the wife's ready to talk. And if she's raising preschoolers, she's probably still got 50,000 words left, and there's a difference, there's a, there's a difference, but, but women are so designed to be communal, to, to bring that community dimension in, whereas men are, are really a little bit more isolationist, a little bit more reflective, step back. I don't really need to comment on this one and move through it. When you put the two together, you bring together that complementary view of the kingdom of God. So if we start to work through this, I want you to see how God looks at marriage and how he looks at the kingdom. So Matthew chapter 22 and verse 2, just one verse. Don't want to go real deep in it. Just give you an illustration. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. He said, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like God arranging a marriage for his son. In other words, I can look into this concept of marriage Of man and woman, and I understand something about the heart of God. You see, the Bible teaches that the church is the bride of Christ, and that Christ is the bridegroom, and that one day there will be a marriage. And so, what God is doing is He's preparing His bride here and now. You ever wondered why we go through challenges and difficulties? You ever wonder why you have setbacks and you have to go to God and you plead with God and you search the scriptures? It's because God has us in training. God is preparing us. Earth is like a laboratory for heaven. God is getting the church, the bride, ready for her eternal reign with God. And that will never be a simple process. It will always be a challenge for us, as long as we're here on planet Earth, to try to strive toward understanding, how do I become an overcomer? How do I access God? How do I radiate the presence of God in my life? Now... Let's go to uh, this idea of sleep. It says a deep sleep came upon Adam. The deep sleep really resulted in the birth of the bride, didn't it? So what does God do? He puts Adam asleep, and from his side he births his bride. Now, I want to I begin to take a look at this. In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, God says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. And supplication. And they will look on him whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for one as he grieves for his firstborn. Now I want you to notice here that it's through the piercing of Jesus that life is going to come, that grace is going to come. Do you realize if Jesus Christ did not die for you, you could not experience the grace of God. You could you wouldn't even understand it. Zechariah, speaking hundreds of years before Jesus, says, and it it's going to be a spirit of grace that will be poured out on you. Now let me take you to Luke cha- or John chapter 19 and verse 34. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been shamed at the cross, hasn't he? He's been stripped. He's been beaten. They've cursed him. They've put a crown of thorns on his head. They have really, really ashamed him. They have ridiculed him and disgraced him. And then one of the soldiers comes with a spear, and as he hangs on the cross, he takes the spear, and he plunges it into the side of Jesus. And here's what John says about that. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Now, we could talk about all the medical reasons why blood and water came out of his heart, but there may be something more to this, because Scripture has a lot to say when it puts blood and water together. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of people who had leprosy. And if a person had had leprosy, they could not worship as other people worshipped. They were forbidden from coming close into the sanctuary of God. They were required to cry, unclean, unclean. And it was their life was an entire life filled with shame. They didn't know what to do. And there was no hope, it seemed. But on occasion, a leper could be cleansed. And if he was cleansed, he would go to the priest, he would show himself to the priest, and the priest would examine him and put him in isolation for seven days. And at the end of that period, he would examine him, and if the leprosy was indeed gone, then he would perform a ritual of the cleansing of the leper. You see, the problem with leprosy is it really, and I kind of brought this to illustrate something, it's the bloodline is impure. There's something wrong with the bloodline. God always wants us to go back to this idea of the blood and the cleansing power of the blood. Well, what the priest would do is he would get two birds, live birds. He'd get a bowl of water. He'd get a scarlet thread like this one. He would get a piece of cedar wood and a hyssop plant. It's just a, a just a very plain of variety kind of a, of a plant, very humble-looking And he would take those two birds, and he would take the one bird, and he would kill it. And he would take the blood from that bird, and he would put it into that little bowl of water. And then he would take that cedar, piece of cedar wood, and he would say to the leper, you have been cleansed. Cedar was a symbol of pride. He said, you must put away your pride. You are not cleansed because you're better than someone else. You must put away your pride. Then he would take the piece of hyssop, and he would show it to him. It's a picture of humility. He would say, you must walk humbly before God. You have been cleansed from your leprosy. He would take the red string, and he would say, you now have a clean bloodline. Then he would take that bird, the live bird now, and he would dip it into the bowl of blood and water. He would hold it above the head of the leper and release the bird to fly away. And as the bird flew away, the blood and the water would drip down onto the leper And he would be reminded of the high cost of the cleansing of his leprosy. It required the blood and the water to confirm it. When Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, he was telling us when that blood and that water came out, we all like lepers. All of us sinners, none of us stand before God righteous. But the blood and the water is a reminder of what it costs for us to be cleansed from our sin. And so we have that redemption. So when when Eve was born from Adam's side, it was also a picture as the church would be birthed from Christ's pierced side. That it cost something for you and I to be in the church. It cost something for you and I to know Christ. It cost a sacrifice that was so great that no one could ever match it. And the idea was that God wanted to bring us to oneness, to a supernatural union with him. So let's go back to Genesis 2 and verse 23, and and here's what it says. Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That term becomes unusual when we begin to see the way it's used in Scripture. In Luke chapter 24 and verses 38 and 39, Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and now is making earthly appearance as a resurrected Lord. He's the same but different. He now is in his resurrected state, in his resurrected body. He's traveling along, and these two men are going to the road of Emmaus. He stops. He begins to talk with them. And this is a part of the dialogue I want you to see in verses 38 and 39. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, Jesus did not have blood. He was resurrected. He was an eternal son of God. But he uses this phrase, flesh and bones. He uses the same phrase that Adam used before the fall of man. He said, this is now uh, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And we kind of suspect something's going on here in a supernatural spiritual dimension that is more than than meets the eye. Let me take you now to Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 29 and 30. And now he's speaking to husbands about loving their wives, and he says this, "'Husbands ought to love their own wives as their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church.'" And now look at the phrase, "'For we are members of his body, flesh, and bones.'" We see that God ties these three things together. He ties the idea of God's original creation. He brings it down into the resurrected Christ. And then he brings it into our life as the church. And he says, do you realize, church, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. The scripture says that when Christ was crucified, that no bone was broken so that it would fulfill scripture. You see, there is not a brokenness in this relationship we have with God. There's sometimes a brokenness in the way that we view a relationship with God, but not a brokenness in this relationship with God. I want to take you to some life applications because this is where it really becomes powerful. I want you to understand the idea of shame. As we referred to earlier, shame is destroyed at the cross. He took our shame. He was shamed for us. Not only did he die for our sin, he died for our shame, that we might not have disgrace, but we might experience the grace of God. And it is the blood alone that cleanses us from sin and guilt. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're better than somebody else. It's not because we're religious. It's not because you've been baptized or taken communion. It's none of those things. It's simply the blood of Christ. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, no one has ever been punished into purity. It, is, it must come through grace. You know, sometimes as parents, we want to make our kids feel bad. And so we try to shame them into doing right. But you remember, no one has ever been punished into purity. And oftentimes that childhood wound of shame becomes something later that a child can't deal with, that an adult like you and I can't deal with. But if we begin to understand, it must come through grace. Grace. And here's what grace is. Grace is the empowering presence of God. When you enter into grace, you enter into something that's powerful. You enter into something that you can experience. It empowers you as you enter into the presence of God. Grace comes and says, let me show you what grace can do. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to have you to stand, and I want to model this for you. I want you to actually have an experience of dealing with something in your own life. So let's just stand together, bow our heads. And here's what I want you all to do. I want you to think of a time in your life. You could have been a small child. You could have been a teenager. It could have been something that on the surface looked kind of harmless, but it really affected you deeply. I want you to think about a time where you experienced shame, okay? Let's just bow our heads and I just ask Jesus, now just reveal a time in my life when I experienced shame. And once you have that, that model and once you you kind of see that dialogue, that experience. It could have happened at school. It could have happened at home. could have happened on your job. could have happened anywhere. Once you've got that, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite Jesus to come into that experience with you right now. He's come alongside of you. You've just experienced this shame, this hurt, this pain. Can you feel it and can you see it? Now what I want you to do is I want you to tell Jesus what happened and what you, how you felt in that moment. He might say something like, I felt so ashamed. I felt so hurt. I felt I was devastated. I was in disgrace. I felt isolated. Just tell him what what you felt. Now I want you just to listen to him. I want to just pause for a moment. What does he say to you in this moment? About what you've experienced. He might say something like, I understand, and you have no reason to feel that. He might say, I've taken your shame away. You just don't know that. But what you're really doing is you're just giving it to him now. Now, while you've got that picture going on, that that situation that brought that to you, that shame that came to you in that moment, I want you to turn to that person in your mind, and I want you to tell him how you felt what you experienced in that moment. And now I want you to ask their forgiveness, or tell them you forgive them, rather. Just say, I forgive you for that. I forgive you for that. Whatever it was, I forgive you. Remember, this is all about you. This is about your health and cleansing you. This is not about trying to find out who is at at fault here. This is all about you. And once you've told them you've forgiven them, now I want you just to listen. What do they say back to you? Remember, you're there. Jesus has got his arm around you. He's protecting you. You're in a good, safe environment right now. What is Jesus, what is that person saying to you? They might say something like this. I, too, have shame. They might say, please forgive me. I had no idea. And now I want you just to accept what they've said and let that healing and let that forgiveness come about because it started with you. It started with where you were in life. It started with what you were wrestling with and what you were struggling with and how God wants to pull that from your heart And in the place now where shame once existed, I want you to ask Jesus in your own words, just would you fill that slot with grace? Would you fill that slot with love? Would you fill that uh, slot with power? Would you allow me to experience the fullness of God's blessing right now? As you've got that experience fresh in your mind, and you've experienced something of the grace and the forgiveness and the and the and the cleansing of God, I want you to take a moment right now. We're just everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed. If you experienced some of that relief from something in the past, you experienced or maybe a better understanding of this shame, would you just slip your hand up and just say, "God, I I experienced that today." Just yeah, just slip your hand up. Nobody's looking. It's just for you, you and God, right now. And as your hand's up, would you just say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, for filling my heart with with grace and for giving me some insights into my life. And now while we just remain in a a moment of prayer, I'm going to just ask the the Lord's blessings over all of us. Let's just receive from him now. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord right now cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in all of his dealings. May you fill grace upon grace flood your soul. May you experience the joy of the Lord. May you put away revenge. May you put away vengeance. May you put away hate and all those other things. And may you experience the true fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And may now you walk in your influence. Now you have a message to give to people, a message of hope, a message of grace, because you too have become a recipient, even today, of the grace of God. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the great way you love us and for the application you make as we experience something of what it means to know you in a deeper and a more meaningful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope today that, that you experience some of God's love and grace. And, you know, we don't experience it just to keep it. Amen? We, we experience it to give it away. So I want you just to really just kind of commit yourself. I want to give this away. I want to give some love to someone, some forgiveness to someone. I want to tell somebody about what it means to really walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? Hey, God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and we'll see you next time.